Coleman National Monument in Chicago, Illinois, with your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes. We welcome you to Live from the Pullman National Monument, our global cast magazine format talk radio show, where we discuss all things cultural economic development, i.e. tourism, and we hold informative conversations on the arts, music, business, and people. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes, founder of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, a National Park Service site in Chicago, Illinois. Good day to you, my listening audience, and we thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Live from the Pullman National Monument. Today's show is partially underwritten by United Auto Workers, Local 551, and Choose Chicago, Chicago's premier tourism marketing agency. In the tradition that we have established here on the show, we always start out talking a little bit about the Pullman National Monument. And I try to give you information on the Pullman National Monument. As I've indicated before, the Pullman National Monument is a little bit different from what is considered the norm of of um, national monuments. The Pullman National Monument is a thematic district. The themes for the thematic district are labor, planning and design, company town structure, rail travel, and black labor history. So those are the themes. Now, in those themes, there are subdivisions or subheadings, if you will, but that is uh, the, the gist of what the Pullman National Monument is all about. Now, in the Pullman National Monument, there are different sites that are there. Uh, each of those, each of us, I should say, we all have our individual niches, but um, many of those are focused on those particular themes. In the Pullman National Monument, there's an entity called the Historic Pullman Foundation. Their specialty or their emphasis is on 19th century excuse me, uh, architectural history. And that encompasses a, a lot of things, but that is the gist of what they do, and they have all manner of interesting things. They have, they offer walking tours, and they focus, laser-like focus on architectural history and the planning and design of what is, some people say, is the America's first, first planned company town. And then there is the Pullman Clock Tower, as it's lovingly called, but it was the Pullman Administration Building, and that is the site where the trains were manufactured. That is the site where the uh, Pullman offices were, and so tours are offered there by appointment only, where you currently, um, that you can go there and take a look around the factory and sort of get the feel of what that was like at that time. 
That is where the rail travel was revolutionized, shall we say. Then there is the Hotel Florence, which was the hotel that was named after George Pullman's daughter. That is very in close proximity to the Pullman Clock Tower. That too is available by appointment only. Then there is the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. The focus there is Black Labor History. It is a small, what we call niche museum, and is the only one of its kind worldwide, and it focuses 100% only on the Black Labor History contributions with a specific focus on the African-American Railroad employee, which is the connection to the uh, Pullman Company. We have one restaurant uh, in the monument. It's called the Pullman Cafe. And so that is kind of the, the, the this in a snapshot, what is there. What's coming is the Pullman, uh, the National Park Service uh, is going to have their office and build-out visitor center that will be located in the, in the Pullman Clock Tower. Sort of updates on that is that in the last week, they the selection of the architects were made who will be designing uh, and handling the build-out or establishing of the National Park Service office that will be located, an exhibit space that will be located in the uh, Pullman Clock Tower. I'm very happy to see that happening because and I think it may have been about a month ago, there was an article in the newspaper that was picked up nationally that talked about the Pullman National Monument being closed because the Environmental Protection Agency had not cleared one of the buildings. And so I was in a snit about that because it gave the impression that nothing was happening in the Pullman National Monument because there was one building that does not have the clearance uh, to, to be open or to be prepared for visitors or to be visitor ready. But that is all changing some, uh, that particular building, that is changing some. And so work, I suspect that work will be um, commencing soon and we will keep you abreast of that. Um, the Metropolitan Planning Council for the city of Chicago also is um, doing some work there. And one of the things that I would ask of the listening audience, those who are in the state of Illinois or nationally, uh, to, to reach out for the Metropolitan Planning Council, because sometimes when when other entities get involved, things get shall we say, things get in the way. And so there is this move afoot that will go back to the separating of the community into a black and a white thing. And that is not our desire. That is not what we want. And we, they would ben, the, the work would benefit from people making phone calls to the Metropolitan Planning Council. Their phone number is 312 9225616 and basically we're asking all of those interested parties to call the metropolitan council planning council and tell them 
to get their act in order. <laughs> so um, I hope that that short explanation provides you, the listening audience, with information uh, about the Pullman National Monument and hopefully uh, it does. You can always visit the Pullman Porter Museum's website at pullmanportermuseum.com there and we have all of the information on every site in the monument on our website and that information is available to you there. So we, I hope that that's enough for you and we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. Today's show is brought to you by the Pullman Messenger Magazine and Hughes-Peterson Publishing. Partially underwritten by Choose Chicago the premier tourism marketing agency in Chicago, Illinois. Visit the PullmanBorderMuseum.com where you can purchase an annual membership at the level of your choice. And of course, visit our website here to find out more about the show live from the Pullman National Monument at bbsradio.com forward slash live from PNM to contact us. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Around the Museum Table. We have on our live line our guest today, Lanisha DeBargaladen. She is Senior Vice President of Education and Exhibitions at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History in Detroit, Michigan. Lanisha, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Hughes. It's great to be on with you and the listening audience. Well, I should say welcome back because you were here once before last year, just in just a very short time. So hopefully this today you'll have more time to spend with us. We are happy to be back on. Thank you. You're so welcome. So so one of the I guess what I would like to say is we're very excited to for you to rejoin us to share with our listening audience and us uh, some informative information that you can share with us about what's happening at the Charles H. Wright Museum, perhaps any new exhibitions that you have, and time permitting to share with us any upcoming events that you might have as well. Yes, happy to talk about all of the above. The Wright Museum is an exciting place year-round, 365 days a year, and we just launched a new exhibition. This year, 2017, marks the 50th anniversary of the Detroit Rebellion, which occurred in July of 1967. We just opened an exhibition that commemorates the uh, significant 
history of the Detroit Rebellion. Our exhibition is entitled Say It Loud, Art, History, Rebellion. And we look at the rebellion from both a historical perspective as well as an artistic perspective. We look through the lens of the artist who created and interpreted rebellion through art. And we bring the exploration of the rebellion up through current day social justice movements. So we're not only looking at Detroit 1967, but we're looking at um, the issues of our current um, social justice movement, Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore, Maryland, and in Chicago, Illinois, and all of our communities, Detroit, Michigan, all of our communities that still struggle with issues of injustice, and that's across the land. And we look at the art that interprets these um, issues of injustice. So the exhibition is really a must-see. It occupies two inside galleries in our museum, and there is an outdoor installation as well with images and a very empowering uh, quotes, historical quotes, as well as the names of the 43 individuals who lost their lives during Detroit's 1967 rebellion. We memorialize and um, remember those whose lives were violently taken during that rebellion, particularly here in Detroit. So it is a must-see exhibition. It will be on display until the 1st of January of 2018. So it's a timed exhibition, and we encourage individuals to come and explore um, and understand the um, rebellions of the 1960s, because our exhibition not only looks at Detroit, but we look from a national perspective. We look at the rebellions that were occurring across the land from um, West Coast to East Coast. And what were the um, common conditions that catapulted into um, into the people rebelling, into the people um, speaking out in various ways and in various behaviors to um, cry out against the conditions of oppression discrimination, inequality, and injustice. So we look at the causes of the rebellions and the consequences of the rebellions as well. It's a very powerful exhibition. It sounds like a very compelling exhibition, and uh, we want to make sure that before you end your visit with us today, you provide uh, the web address and the hours of operation and the location uh, of the museum so that we can ensure and invite uh, those people who are interested who may be uh, planning a trip to the U.S. or to that part of the country or that part of the United States so that they will be ensured of uh, being exposed to some very valuable information while also uh, participating or contributing to the arts 
which is an extremely valuable tool. Absolutely, and that's what makes our particular exhibition, which we curated in-house on the 67 Rebellion, that's what makes it really unique, that it's more than just a historical exploration, but that we incorporate the arts and culture. We infuse a spoken word, a portion of the exhibition features um, prominent spoken word artists and poets who have composed these very moving poetic pieces about rebellion and um, social justice. And we've incorporated the um, these these video recordings of these poets into the exhibition experience. So it is multidimensional. This exhibition pulls individuals in from various um, approaches, and it it really is a compelling exhibition that everyone, um, regardless of uh, ethnicity and walk of life, everyone I believe um, will be pulled in and drawn in to this exhibition. We um, feature um, national artists, artists from across the country have um, contributed to uh, to this exhibition, some of their works. Um, we had, we shipped here and we had to um, fly in here to install these works of art because we really look at uh, rebellion from a national perspective. So it is an exhibition that we invite everyone to to come and see and be enriched by right here in Detroit at the Charles Wright Museum. You know, it's this is a very interesting time and space that we're in. And in ref, if one reflects on history a bit, it's almost as the same kind of turmoil and economic times, if you will, that existed during the time that President Roosevelt uh, implemented or initiated the, the WPA era when there were so many wonderful works of art and cultural activity that emerged during that time period. And, and I think it was a reflection of the time and the era uh, that we as a people were experiencing nationwide. I don't mean just African-American people, but I mean all people were experiencing at that time. And it seems like we are revisiting that same kind of energy, if you will, in this country. Uh, and, and it seems that once again, the arts have stepped up to the plate, if you will, and taking a leadership role in doing its part to disseminate positive energy, if you will, through the arts, because it doesn't matter. It's, it's a multi-generational effect. Because it, it is not just young people and it's not just older people. It is, in fact, a multi-generational, a multi-ethnic uh, kind of environment that we are in, in the midst of the negativity that's going on. Somehow the arts serve as I, the best analogy that I can give is it serves as a needle to thread together 
the important components of our society to it gives us some almost like a salvation absolutely it does it really does the art i believe has the power to move people in a way that other mediums and and forms of creativity does not i believe the arts is universal and individuals from um various countries i believe may not speak the same language but when they encounter the arts they they understand in the same way they um, understand the message that the artist was attempting to convey um so we have really um appreciated this opportunity to bring a very um disturbing and disruptive aspect of history to the present through the arts um it's a unique approach and one that um we are very pleased that we took this approach to explore the 67 rebellion we've also incorporated oral histories we've conducted several oral histories of individuals who um were um present in Detroit during the 67 rebellion so we have been able to capture oral histories as well as a variety of um objects and uh material culture that were present during the 67 uh rebellion so we have really um produced what i think is a very accessible exhibition accessible to all um accessible to individuals who may not have even been here in detroit at that time but who uh, can still resonate with the the art um that is on display um with this exhibition. So our 1967 Say It Loud Art History and Rebellion exhibition is a must see. We also have an upcoming annual event that is a must attend for your for your listening audience and that is the African World Festival which is going to be uh on the third weekend in August, August 18th, 19th and 20th in Detroit. And we are celebrating the 35th annual uh celebration of the African World Festival. Uh, one of the nation's largest um African American cultural festivals and this offers a variety of arts and culture through music and vendors from various African and African diaspora countries selling um authentic uh textiles and artwork and all sorts of items uh for purchase and delicious authentic cuisine and just uh so much to celebrate we'll have a variety of entertainers including Eric Benet and a variety of entertainers each night we'll have a an amazing African fashion show with uh stellar artistic fashions 
that will be um, on display with the, with the annual fashion show, African World Festival Fashion Show. We'll have a Watoto village for the children, an area specifically for children with uh, just a ton of really fun, meaningful uh, arts and artistic crafts for the children. We'll have a children's book fair giving free books to children, uh, entertainers, storytellers, uh, we'll have a teen zone for the for teenagers to engage with um, hip hop, spoken word, African drumming, all sorts of activities. So Detroit is definitely the place to be for the um, African World Festival. People from all over the country, all over the world, come for the African World Festival, and it will it's coming up August eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth. So that's that's coming up very soon. It very is. Soon. <laughs> It that is. sounds exciting. One of the things that I want to be sure for you to do is to give our listening audience a sense of where the museum is, um, what kind of is what kind of transportation is required. Is it accessible to to tour buses and public transportation? If someone is driving, what what what's the parking scenario there? Um, what is the admission? Is there a separate admission for the new exhibitions? That kind of thing. Sure, absolutely. So the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History is in the center of Detroit's cultural district. We are at located at 315 East Warren Avenue, which is right in the cultural district next to Wayne State University. We are uh, near other museums. Um, there are several museums in this area, and we are just at the center of it all. We um, are open Tuesday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sundays from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. We are closed on Mondays. The museum is um, has a flat admission rate. Uh, once the admission is paid, you can see all of the galleries, all of the exhibitions. And for adults, that flat admission rate is $8. For young people ages 3 to 12, it's $5. And for um, our seasoned adults over 62, it's $5. And then children under three are free, and all members of the museum are free. If uh, individuals are interested in joining the museum as a member, um, that information and all information about the museum can be found on our website, which is www.therite.org. We are on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, and individuals can follow us throughout the social media world. Um, the Wright Museum is easily accessible because we are located very close to downtown Detroit in an area called Midtown within the Cultural District, and there are spaces for uh, buses. Uh, tour buses have spots that they can occupy once they visit. Uh, visitors also have um, a parking lot right behind the museum that is um, a gated parking lot, easily accessible uh, directly to to the museum. We would love to host uh, groups 
and we have guided tours of our galleries. Individuals can contact our uh, group tours line to schedule an opportunity for the um, museum educators to lead their groups on a group tour. And that particular phone number for group tours is area code 313-494-5864. The museum's general phone number is 313-494-5800. And that's any general questions that individuals have. They can contact the museum and uh, get any questions answered at 313-494-5800. And all information, including all of our programs, exhibitions, special events, are all located on our website, theright.org. Well, okay, I think we got it all in this time. (laughs) (laughs) I agree, Dr. Hughes. (laughs) I am so pleased that you were able to join us again today. I thank you so very much for giving up part of your Sunday to, to join us and share with the listening audience the wonderful information that you have been able to share with us about the activities and what's going on at the Charles H. Wright Museum. And our doors are always open. You are certainly welcome to come again, and maybe not so long this time. Uh, I think you were, you've visited us in February. Yes. So we, we, we are very pleased that you were uh, able to join us today. We, oh, it is our delight. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you so very much. And we, everybody, join me in thanking Lanisha Nibagaladen, Senior Vice President of Education and Exhibitions at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History in Detroit, Michigan. And you have to go there and see all of the fabulous exhibits that they have. Once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Hughes. You're welcome. Welcome back to Live from the Pullman National Monument. We have on our live line today a very special guest, Solomon and Gloria Herbert. They are publishers of the Black Meetings and Tourism magazine. They, I am told, are the gurus for statistical data on the African-American tourism market, and we have just been very anxious to get them on uh, because, of course, everyone knows this show is about tourism, global tourism, and national tourism. And so we wanted to have uh, the opportunity to zero in on a particular market, and that is the African-American tourist uh, in this country and, and abroad. And we, in order to be accurate, we wanted to have some folks on who really knew uh, or savvy on, on the subject matter and who better could we bring on but Solomon and Gloria Herbert? Welcome to the show. 
Our pleasure to be here. Thank you. We're happy to be here. So what I'd like for you to do is to just, I'm going to just, after the introduction, just move out of the way and allow you to elaborate and expound upon the subject matter that you are experts in. And I'm going to be a member of the audience. I may occasionally ask a question or two, but I would like for you to introduce yourselves, uh, talk a bit about the publication and the new project you have about the new green book, all of those wonderful things. So um, I would just like for you just to go on and uh, talk about both of those things. Okay. Well, uh, as far as the, the publication goes, the magazine Black Meetings and Tourism, we started the publication in 1993. That was when we first uh, formed the, the publishing company for that publication. We actually had another pu- magazine for a few years prior to that, but uh, 93 was only launched the Black, Me- uh, Black Meetings and Tourism. And our, our goal is not only to uh, cover tourism and hospitality and, and meetings industry in terms of places to go and, and venues to use, but our focus is really on uh, economic empowerment of African Americans and, and wealth uh, building. So that while we talk about uh, you know Los Angeles or St. Louis or U.S. Virgin Islands or whatever the destination may be and talk about all of the, the culture and the beauty and, and the, you know, the convenience of it and the the magnificent hotels and all those kind of things. We want to make sure that that African American entrepreneurs, businesses, benefit from the tourism that goes into these destinations. And sad, sadly, at this point in time, our research has shown us that less than one percent of the sixty, nearly sixty billion dollars that are spent every year by African Americans in travel and tourism and meetings goes into African American businesses. So we, we're working hard to change that dynamic to make sure that the more people are aware of the opportunities in travel and tourism and that they can tap into that and become, you know, benefit, uh, benefactors of some of that kind of business that goes into co- countries and, and states all over the nation and around the world. I'm happy. Go ahead, please, Dr. Hughes. I, I I wanted to say I'm happy to hear you give that explanation because one of the things that we talk about on this show every week is, and we want to open the doors uh, of tourism, open the eyes of African Americans in particular to the opportunities that exist in the broader under the broader umbrella of tourism, and we have coined the phrase cultural economic development because it's not just about a particular destination, say for the sake of this discussion, a Disney World. It's so much deeper than that. There are multiple opportunities, business opportunities that can be developed and entered into that are available under the broader umbrella of tourism that we as a community, African-Americans in particular, are just not aware of. And, And it takes people like you to come on and talk about that. Yes, uh, you know, just around the uh, the meetings industry, for instance, uh, there there are so many opportunities from transportation, ground transportation, uh, uh, florists. You know, when when you go to a, a luncheon or to a, a banquet, there's usually some sort of a arrangement on the table. Somebody has to do that, and, and very seldom is it an African American entrepreneur or florist that's doing that, getting that opportunity. And mainly it's because not that they're not 
qualified to do it. They just don't know about those opportunities, and nobody's really, uh, you know, impressed upon them the importance of that. So we, that's our mission. That's one of the things we're doing. And then and many other uh, op- opportunities like that from the linen or, uh, you know, the table, you know, like in the whole hotel industry. We are, in fact, I am on the board of the National Association of African-American Hotel Owners, Operators, and Developers. And uh, there are so many opportunities. We have a conference every year in in Miami uh, in July. It's coming up, I think, July 26th or 31st this year. And there are, you know, the entrepreneurs who have any anything, whether it's artwork that they're trying to sell or, or you know, silverware or, or plasticware or, or linen should be there and should, should hook up with that organization and learn how, what, what the process is to become uh, vendors for the various hotel chains and, and individual hotels around the country. So there are many, many opportunities. But like anything else, if you don't know about them, you can't take advantage of them. Absolutely. So many people, Dr. Hughes, don't realize uh, the positioning of travel as an industry in this country and worldwide. In the United States, some references say that travel and tourism is the second largest revenue-generating and employment opportunity industry after uh, technology. Others say that it's third after technology and healthcare. But it's certainly uh, in the position for us to understand there are vast opportunities there. And the other part of it, as my husband mentioned, of course, we are about the business of travel. But in addition to that, we want to include the training that's important, uh, creating opportunities for young people to, to see the importance of preparing for these uh, wonderful careers. And uh, we too many times think that uh, service and servitude are the same thing our young people do. So when we talk about working in the hospitality and travel industry, many people envision a housekeeper, which is a wonderful uh, position to have at a property, by the way, but it could be a starting point. Or working uh, in the front desk could be a starting point. And we have many African Americans who are general managers of major hotels across the country. So we also want to keep that in mind that the educational component is important. And I'm going to ask my husband just to mention uh, about an opportunity that Black Meetings and Tourism is presenting in Washington, D.C., coming up in September uh, prior to the Congressional Black Caucus Conference. Uh, that does involve a training as well and opportunities for mentoring young people. It's called the Champions Award. And Solomon, if you could just perhaps share information with uh, the listeners about that, please. Yes, the, uh, the Champions Awards is uh, an event. It's actually we're having our first annual one on September 20th of this year in Washington, D.C., and we're going to be giving uh, awards to elected officials who have... Uh, champion uh, travel and tourism, uh, one of them being um, President Obama, former President Obama. He, and I think it's in uh, 2012, enacted a, a program and, and, uh, that, that uh, founded uh, Brands USA, and, they, and through his efforts, they started uh, marketing the USA. It had never been done before. All the other countries, or major countries around the, the uh, globe, market their destinations, and the USA didn't do that, so... 
uh, we, we're honoring uh, President Obama for that and, and a number of others, including uh, Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey and Maxine Waters from Los Angeles. And, but as an important part of our that program, we're also launching a, a mentoring program, and we're bringing two students, one a young African-American woman and one male, African-American male from each state, that's 100 altogether. We're bringing them to D.C. to be introduced to their mentors who are going to work with them for the, the, the for 12 months and help them. These are students or people who are interested or have entered into the hospitality industry or the travel industry, and they're going to help give them guidance and give them some direction and give them some mentoring, and hopefully uh, that will enhance their careers and, make, and help them to move forward quickly. And we're also in negotiations right now. It hasn't been planned up yet, <clears throat> excuse me, but we're, uh, we may be also during the Congressional Black Caucus putting on an educational event uh, where we're going to actually be bringing in some of the major uh, industry organizations like MPI and ASAE and some of the others to uh, uh, um, work with these young people and other young people and, to, and some, and, um, some um, educational programs that will be launched there and, and continue on an ongoing basis throughout the year. And I say all this, uh, uh, it's so important because in addition to the entrepreneurial and uh, business opportunities in the travel and tourism and hospitality industry, there are many job opportunities too. Uh, there are, I, I don't really have a handle on how many jobs there are you know, in terms of, but I can tell you this much. There are about 500, uh, approximately 500 convention and visitors bureaus around the country. When we started our publication, there were only about 15 people working, 15 African Americans working in all of those 500 bureaus. Today, the number has increased quite a bit, but it's not, not nearly where it needs to be. Of, of those 500 convention and visitors bureaus, 11 of them are run by African Americans. That means that um, 489 of them are run by people who don't look like us. So there's a lot of work and a lot of uh, you know, progress we still need to make. But, you know, that's a, that's a step in the right direction. Also, when we started our publication, there was only one black-owned hotel in the United States. Now there are over 500. And much of that is due to the work of the NAV, NAV the organization I told you about, those black hotel owners which uh, was founded about, uh, I think it was about 18 or 19 years ago. So there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of opportunities, and it's just this younger generation that's coming up now, the doors are wide open for them. So they just have to know about the opportunities and take advantage of them. And I think, you know, 10 years down the road or 10, 20 years down the road, we're going to see an entirely different picture. And Dr. Hughes, you referenced our our uh, upcoming uh, baby here. This is the new Green Book. So many of your listeners may be familiar with the historic Green Book. It, it wasn't that long ago. The first one was published in 1939, but they didn't cease publication until the mid-60s after uh, the act was passed, which opened the a hospitality industry, and anyone could stay at any property. So, so those civil rights legislation that uh, were so much a part of the 60s uh, changed the picture of travel for African Americans. However, prior to those uh, legislative actions, 
African-Americans traveling, particularly by car, but any, by any mode of transportation, were very restricted in where they could stay, what they could do, what facilities they would be able to use. So during those Jim Crow era, that, those years, uh, Mr. Victor Green, who was a postal worker in New York City, devised a very uh, interesting plan to help guide African-Americans, particularly those who were traveling in cars. So it was a motorist guide. He called it um, the um, African-American motorist guide, I believe, or the Negro motorist guide, as, as we were known during those days as Negroes. And this was to allow families or individuals who were traveling, and entertainers, by the way, were uh, very much a part of this. There were many African-American entertainers who would travel from city to city to perform, but they would not be allowed uh, to stay in hotels, uh, to eat in certain restaurants, or even to use the restroom to get gasoline at uh, many of the service stations across the country. So Victor Green came up with a wonderful plan to document those places in various destinations that were friendly and that were safe. And so it became known as the Green Book, of course, named after Mr. Green. And it was such a popular tool that African-Americans used as they traveled because, again, they couldn't just go to um, any hotels in Marriott or or uh, Best Western or wherever. It was staying at perhaps Miss Susie's um, rooming house or somebody, a family that had a room. I always say that this is the prerequisite or, or the precursor to Airbnb. Uh, but it was also an interesting time when African Americans were guided to spend their money with other African Americans. So because they could not go to any restaurant, you knew that you were going to get food at those places listed in the Green Book. You went to Uncle Charlie's barbecue place. You went to so-and-so's soul food restaurant. But it kept those dollars in the black community. And this is what we are encouraging African Americans to do, as Solomon said, to look at this as a, a, a power, a economic empowerment tool. So our new Green Book, which we are uh, going to be launching in November of this year, will be an online directory, a digital directory, and a mobile app that will guide you to any place you want to go. So we certainly think African Americans, and we know based on our uh, years of experience in this industry, we go every place anybody else goes, in the country and out of the country. We now have the freedom of travel. But what we are encouraging all African Americans to do is to look beyond the freedom of travel and look at the choices that travel can provide. So when you go into a city, yes, you're going to go to everything that that city ha has to offer, but perhaps one day out of that, uh, your experience, you might choose to go to an African-American-owned restaurant, stay at an African-American-owned hotel, uh, maybe even have some of your travel planned by an African-American travel agent. Um, so it's just an opportunity, again, to create that kind of empowerment that will allow our communities to grow and to flourish because those dollars are being spent. And as Solomon said, it's almost 60 billion, that's billion with a B, every year that African Americans put into circulation and it's going into someone's pocket, pockets, we think it should be in pockets of African Americans and others who look like us. So the new green book will provide that kind of information. Um, it will be available online. It will be available as a mobile app. 
and we are going to be publicizing it in various ways. We certainly will be sending uh, information to you to share with your readers and to uh, your your listeners, rather, to encourage them to. It's a complimentary listing, so there's no charge. But we want people to to utilize it and um, take advantage of that service to make a difference for all of us in this industry and for all of us uh, in this country. So that'll be coming out very soon. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm I, as I listen to this conversation from the both of you. It re, I'm reminded about. I I guess I want to say my awakening to travel and tourism or, or in the, the travel and tourism industry. In 1995, there was in a convening in Washington D.C. called the White House. Tra- Conference on Travel and Tourism, U.S. Commerce Secretary, then U.S. Commerce Secretary Ron Brown was one of the conveners. And I just remember going to that, I I finagled my way to go as a delegate for the state of Illinois. And there were people from all over the country and, and abroad were there to talk about travel and tourism. Well, quite honestly and quite frankly, I really didn't know about it. I just knew that as the founder of the first Black Labor History Museum in the nation, I wanted to be there because I, in my instinct, said that there was something there that I needed to know about. And I will never forget the conversation Ron Brown, who sought me out and said to me, that I'm so glad that you came. I'm impressed that you came because seeing your face here means that you get it. There were 3,500 people, delegates, there representing the travel and tourism industry from all manner, every facet of travel and tourism. And of the uh, 3,500, there were 17 people of color It was a combination of African-American, Hispanic, and Native American. There were 17 of us collectively. And what he said, I never will forget what he said to me was, he said, he said that I'm so happy to see you here because there's so many of our people who just don't even have a clue about travel and tourism, the travel and tourism industry. My parents, he said, had a hotel. And all we know about tourism was the carbon monoxide that the buses left when they passed my parents' hotel. That was my awakening. And so one of the things that I learned when I left there it was that his reference to it was cultural economic development. That's where the coin, that's where the phrase really came from. It did not come from my doctoral thesis. It came from him. I just remembered that. And so my point is that I make it a point to have a discussion or designate some portion of this show every week to talk about opportunities that are presented under the broader umbrella of tourism for not, for entrepreneurs and for, for those many of those people who are locked out because of, um, shall we say, brushes with the law who have turned their lives around, but they cannot get into places of employment. As I see it, uh, travel in the travel and tourism industry, or the tourism industry in particular, 
presents opportunities for people who can be entrepreneurs because you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to really have a whole lot of startup capital in the instances where there are uh, travel uh, tourism destinations that are developing around this country in the United States. There are all kinds of opportunities that are available that people can embark upon entrepreneurial efforts uh, to, to, to make themselves a very comfortable living and for our young people to be uh, awakened to the opportunities. Most of our young people think in terms of travel and tourism or the hospitality. They think in terms of, well, I don't want to wait on somebody. Well, somebody has to wait on those somebodies, and they're taking home very healthy paychecks. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I'm just so excited about the work that you folks are doing and to know that there are folks out there like you who are doing this work and helping to educate people and, and, and to open the eyes of people to recognize that there are many opportunities that are out there. And you need not think that you're prevented from, from going in that door because it's not always about Disney World. And, and in our case, um, Chicago, we have Navy Pier and the Bean, but it's not always about that. It's what's underneath, as Solomon said, about those opportunities, business opportunities that exist and not just looking at it as a place to visit. But people internationally, by the way, are very interested in African-American heritage and Native American heritage. So they come here from around the world to go to a slave plantation as well as to Native American uh, uh, tribal sites. Uh, we really don't even begin to realize uh, how interesting uh, African-Americans are as a people uh, to others in places who are not familiar uh, with our culture. So we have a lot to offer, and we just know that it's time for us us to step up to the plate and, yes, share our heritage, our history, what we bring to the table, but also, as our friend says, to get paid for it. So this is why we hope we can make a difference as a publication that focuses on the business of travel. Well, I think you are making a difference, and I think you will continue to make a difference, and I applaud uh, the work that you folks are doing. I am honored to have you on the show as our guest to elaborate and to educate uh, our listening audience about this particular in segment of his of um, our economy, frankly. And I always like to say that while we are focusing on attracting or, or zeroing in on African American tourists. That is not to say that we're excluding anyone. It's just so, it just happens that we are focusing on a market, really an untapped market. There are people who, international tourists, international travelers who come to Chicago all the time, and they are almost always, without exception, people from London, people from Spain people from the Netherlands, people from Asia, and they are coming to Chicago and visiting. They want to visit, seek out, seeking out African-American uh, tourist destinations because they want to know more about the experience. 
And so it, it's not that we're excluding. We're simply marketing what we have to offer. So uh, you were talking earlier about the, their opportunities for entrepreneurs where you don't have to have a lot of uh, capital to get started or, or even a degree. Well, one of the areas that virtually costs nothing, although it, it takes time, you, you must educate yourself, is to be a step-on guide. When when they have these tours, somebody's got to be on that bus, be on that van, and explain the neighborhood and talk about the various attractions within the neighborhood and points of interest in the, in the historical uh, places. And so, if if you have if you're good with people and, and like to uh, you know have a, your have some people uh, power, uh, powers, you know you like to talk to people and you you're interested in history and culture. Well, you educate yourself about your own community in your own city. And that's an opportunity. You get in touch with the Convention and Visitors Bureau. You get in touch with travel agents who are bringing people into town and let them know you're available to be a step-on guide for, and you, and you get paid for that. And you can do, do something you enjoy doing and spread, spread the word about the, your culture and your, your, your community's culture. And at the same time, become part of a major industry, a growing industry, which is, as I said, is, and that $60 billion is a, is a very, a that is probably more than that. That is so true. That is so true. That's an excellent point you brought on about the step on guys because that's something now I mean, we utilize them and we know about them, but but it's one of those things where had you not said anything, I would never have even I don't know that I would have thought to mention that. And I will begin to incorporate that into my conversations when I'm talking about uh, the various kinds of opportunities that exist in the travel and tourism industry. That's an excellent opportun- um, suggestion. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. I would like for you all to to just give a little bit more plug about your magazine, the website, uh, and, and, and where people can go and find out more about the uh, magazine and about the new green book and 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 the services that you offer and the contact information for you. Would you be kind enough to do that? Sure. If you go to our website, which is www.blackmeetingsandtourism, that's B-L-A-C-K-M-E-E-T-I-N-G-S-A-N-D-T-O-U-R-I-S-M-A-N.com. That's our website. On the website, we have uh, our digital magazine. We have what we call web web uh, exclusives. They're not in the magazine. They're not anyplace else. They're just on our website. And then we also send out a digital uh, newsletter uh, every month or so. And so if, if anybody is interested in getting on, on our mailing list, all they need to do is go on our website, and there's a place in them to register to get onto our mailing list, and we'll start sending them the, new, the newsletter as well. Well, and you can you'll be able to find information, uh, uh, Dr. Hughes, about the new Green Book. Also, uh, they're launching a site, uh, but it's going to be the new Green Book for Travel dot com. And, and and although it's not up yet, um, you'll be able to get access to that very soon. But going through the Black Meetings and Tourism dot com website, it will be directing you uh, to get information about the new Green Book as well. And we thank you so much for this opportunity to share this information with your listening audience. 
Well, thank you both very much, everybody. Join me in thanking Gloria and Solomon Herbert, publishers of the Black Meeting and Tourism magazine. And coming online will be the new green book. We thank them for coming to join us here on Live from the Pullman National Monument. Everybody, thank you for sharing with us another informative show on the ever-expanding topic of tourism. Thank you to the listening audience for spending part of your Sunday with us. And a very special thank you to the Pullman Messenger Magazine, United Auto Workers Local 551, and Chew Chicago. Thank you to our fantastic engineer, Mr. Don Newsom, smooth jazz artist Jonathan Fritzen for allowing us to use his music on our show every week. And last but not least, you, the listening audience, because without you, there would be no show. And we'll see you next time on Live from the Pullman National Monument. Live from Pullman National Monument was brought to you by Hughes-Peterson Publishing in Chicago, Illinois. Hosted by Dr. Lynn Hughes.